good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, coming to you from the studio at the Coming Home Network International, and you're hearing us over EWTN Radio. Welcome to our program today. Our guest is Deacon Patrick Wilson. Deacon is a former Presbyterian, but he's now serving uh, as a deacon at the Blessed Sacrament Parish in Newark, Ohio. And first, Deacon, welcome to the program. Thank you, Marcus. Good to be here. It is good to have you here. Deacon uh, Patrick is a member of the Church of Blessed Sacrament. He and his wife, Kathy, are this year enjoying their 36th anniversary of marriage on May 1st. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Deacon and two sons, Chad and Alex. Three grandchildren, uh, and right now Deacon Patrick is currently employed with the Ohio State Highway Patrol as a training officer and has been with patrol for 35 years. So uh, uh, he was ordained to the permit diaconate for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Columbus by uh, Bishop Campbell back in, it's been seven years or so. Yes, it has been. That you've been deacon and you've been assigned at Blessed Sacrament. So it's great to have you on the program. Uh, you had mentioned in the Journey Home episode, which aired Monday night, and those of you listening, if you didn't get a chance to hear Deacon Patrick's um, story, you might want to do that to get all the detail of his journey of faith and also his discernment to the diaconate. You mentioned in that that you had done some studies at the Pontifical College Mm -hmm. uh, and studying for that, Uh, and here we are in Scripture program and just encourage you to talk a bit about the scripture training you had there because I'm, I know it's a good place. Oh yes, it's and, very I'm, good. I'm, and I'm wondering to what extent when you studied scripture there. Um, let me ask you at at a Catholic seminary, what was the reason for teaching you to study scripture? Scripture study at itself at the Pontifical College Josephinum was especially intriguing for all of us because our diaconal formation takes place in one location, and they bring in deacons from all over the 23-county diocese of Columbus into one location so that we can all learn about Scripture, have the same common professors, if you will, and what better place than a Pontifical College? Yeah. I mean, under, <laughs> the, under the guidance of Rome itself, we're getting study in that program. It uh, has been formulated by... Uh, our, our current diaconate director, Deacon Frank Anarino, who's done a wonderful job putting together the curriculum and the course of study for that and brings in priests of the Pontifical College as well as some local diocesan priests and some of the deacons who are knowledgeable as well as some of the sisters who are still teaching in this area. So they, too, can teach us not just Scripture but theology, uh, many different courses that are required of the deacons in their formation into the permanent diaconate. When we get into Scripture study, we took courses in Old Testament Scripture, of course, the Gospels, the uh, Synoptic Gospels themselves are studied in depth, and then uh, a whole course of study on the Gospel of John and the writings of John follows that. So, too, you have um, and then another study on on Paul's writings, which are fascinating in themselves because at some point, each of us, like Paul, undergoes a conversion experience of some sort. And then you have to understand how those writings were in place. So also along with scripture study, you have the history of the church. And the history of the writings takes on a nuance in itself that most of us in our Catholic sense don't really get to understand and get to uh, explore the depths that you do when you're in college together, when you're studying together. I've often felt that maybe one of the reasons that Catholics have acquired this reputation for not knowing the Bible, which is really false, Mm -hmm. because Catholics hear it read in Mass far more than your average Protestant does in in Protestant worship. Um, And I realize that in my own journey from being a Protestant for 40 years and then a pastor for 10, and, uh, and, and being completely surprised by how often. Scripture is the central of all, everything that the church does. But maybe one of the reasons that Catholics don't seem to know it as well is because they're not, I don't want to say they're not encouraged to, but they often don't take advantage of Scripture reading on their own. Mm-hmm. The Bible from cover to cover, books from cover to cover. Yes. Uh, they hear it in the snippets that follow the liturgical season. Mm-hmm. 
but they don't often on their, themselves open the Bible at home and, and then read it for themselves. And it's rather interesting, too, that we come out of a season now, the first of Advent this year, we brought in the new Roman Missal. And yep. as you recall, Bishop Campbell last year took us all on a journey of why we're making the changes and many of the changes that were being said. And he took time to make sure that we understood that many of the liturgical changes that were taking place were actually direct quotes from Scripture, that really, as Catholics, we are hearing more of that than we are even aware of, and to really dig into the depths. I mean, uh, the, the Lamb of God, when we proclaim the Lamb of God, behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away our sins and brings us new life. Happy are those called to his supper, and we now see this new response. Lord, I'm not worthy that I should enter under your roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. That phrase yeah. is so different than what we were saying before. It's much the same. You know, there's a lot close to that translation, but it's so much more in-depth now. We are yeah. reflecting the words of the centurion. Much more clear. Much description. more clearer, yes. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think that, again, the question that I was posing to you is, why you were studying it and and I think for one is so that you have the wider view, the full picture, the context, the mm-hmm. historical setting. Yeah. For then when you read liturgically Sunday after Sunday, you know what you're reading, oh that comes from the midst of this place in salvation history. This is the covenantal life. This is that context and And it is so much more alive when you proclaim that word from the Ambo whether you're proclaiming as a lector any of the Old Testament readings or the New Testament letters of Paul, the Acts of the Apostles, or if you are a deacon or a priest and you're proclaiming the words of the gospel, you are bringing those words off the page and into life. The Word of God has power, and that Word needs to be heard, lifted off the page, and made alive for all of the ears of the listeners who are here today. That much right there allows us and really gives the good reason for why we would go into Scripture study and our diaconal study, of, of course, at the Pontifical College, is to allow ourselves to be dealt into a deeper study of Scripture and a deeper knowledge and familiarity with it. So that's the reason. Well, the other thing that I was hearing when I was teaching at the Josephinum, the Pontifical College Josephinum, is that there was this growing emphasis on evangelization in line with the church's commitment to the new evangelization. Mm-hmm. And and it was I was really glad to hear that. It wasn't Scripture study for Scripture's sake. It no. was so that you as a deacon could be a, a, interestingly, not just a channel, but a reservoir. Right. So that you could help parishioners grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ and his church so they could understand their faith better so that they themselves could be witnesses. Mm -hmm. And it it points right to one of those particular verses that I had chosen for today, and I think that's James 1.12. Let me get into that one. Excellent. James 1.12, Blessed is the man who perseveres in temptation, for when he has been proved, he will receive the crown of life that he he promised to those who love him. James 1.12 tells me that if we persevere in whatever the world throws at us, and we know that we have to do what is right. We can't be tempted by those things that are going to be bad. We can be tempted. We will be tempted. But we don't have to give in to that temptation. If we resist the temptation, then we will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who have loved him. So it is just so important that all of us allow that to come forward in our life. And I have to say this, too. That one touched me for two reasons. Number one, teaching CCD 7th and 8th grade students a couple of years ago. I challenged them to all take a, a look at Scripture and to just simply delve into it with the knowledge that they all have a birthday. Everybody's birth can be represented by a month and a day number. So, for example, if your birthday is January 12th, as mine is, then you could look at any book of the Bible and come up with a verse that might say something to you. And I challenged them to do that just to see what they could find. Well, I looked, James So 1-12. Leviticus one twelve. what was that? <laughs> That, I'm not that good to quote scripture. That might have been a tough right one. <laughs> I can look it up, okay? <laughs> but that's a unique way to get young people particularly. Oh, it is. Say, well, and what's it was, God saying to you in every book of the Bible? Yeah. yeah, yeah and, and not every chapter has, of course, 12 verses. The first chapter of sure. one verse or one book of the Bible might not have 12. So you just go to another one and find one that fits. But in this case, James one twelve, being January 12th was my month of birth and year of date of birth, said something to me. Well, not only that. 
a couple of years ago, I received two coffee cups in the, the mail from my son in Cincinnati, Alex. And one of them had the quote on it, James 112. It's the very verse that Did I got right there. He didn't know that that was one of my favorites <laughs> or that I had gone through and talked That's to the CCD great. students about it. So in my own life, the Holy Spirit was telling me there's more to this. Dig into it a little bit deeper. Open your mind to review that new scripture. And just like we heard this weekend at Mass, the Lord opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And as I've often uh, emphasized on this program, the importance when you're doing scripture, I mean, it, there could be a danger that anyone could take any scripture out of context and read into it whatever they want to read. So you've got to make sure you're always interpreting scripture in the wider context, mm -hmm. the context of the entire New Testament, the context of the Bible, and the context of the sacred tradition, the church, to make sure you drop your finger on this verse and, oh, this is what God's saying to me today, but your interpretation and application, that has to be in line with the wider teaching of the church, of course. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at this passage, which is a great one, in the context of all of James, you know, James is the one that talks about faith and works, mm -hmm. uh, the balance of our life, what we believe must be shown. They're both important, just as we are not just a spirit inside of a body. We're a whole person, body yes. and spirit. Yes, and faith without works, as James says, is dead. You show me your faith without works, and I'll show you the faith that works within me, he says. You know, and that's, to me, that is what it's all about. We have to do God's work while we're here on this earth, or else our faith does not carry the true weight that it could. And so that's behind for when he has been proved. Mm -hmm. So there's the, the test, the, yes. the, the proving as we stand before God. And the temptation, I think we mentioned this in the Journey Home program, that you know we see in James again chapter four this the temptations of the world the flesh and the devil but particularly we talked about the flesh the passions yes. the desires the things that will try and get us off track um, but the the crown that we aim for um, are those that as it says in the end of James chapter four uh, those that know what is right and do what is right. But if they know what's right and don't do what's right, well, then that's sin to them. Yes. They recognize that. Yes. Now, you as a deacon, I want to apply that and ask you that question, helping people deal with their struggle against temptation. Uh, and in this world, almost more than any because of the mass media, uh, we can become so inundated with voices that want to pull us away from what's true. So how can we know? How can you? How do you help people know to discern what is an indeed a true temptation, or you know, subtle, or are we just listening to our own passions? How do you help people discern that? Sometimes you listen to what they're saying to you. You 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 hear what they're saying to you, and you hear what they're troubling, what's troubling them, and you help them discern by some of those same simple questions. And I don't try to apply an answer to them. In many cases, I let them talk. And many times, what you will hear from them is another question that arises from the question they're giving you in the first place. <laughs> and from that, you say, okay, what do you know to be true? What do you know to be true about your faith? If, in fact, you can apply this to something that's about your faith, then the next reasonable objective must be reached, okay? Um, I can't give you a specific example right now on the top of my head, but it does work that way, that the more I listen to what they're saying, a lot of times they'll bring the answer out from themselves sure. because their faith is in there, and they're questioning something that doesn't seem right, so they have to just sound it out. And if they use me as a sounding board, all the better. If they go on the other skew and they say that takes them in a teaching that's not of the church, I'll bring them back onto the straight and narrow and say, no, wait a minute, this is taking you into an area that doesn't really belong to the teaching of the faith. Here's what the church has to say about that, and let's see if this matches where you are in your life. It all matches where we are in our life at this moment as well. Well, and I, and I think another important part of that, Deacon, is as a deacon, mm -hmm. one of the reasons you went to the Pontifical College Josephinum is so that when you're helping people understand how to apply this verse as well as others to their life, that their the interpretation and application are within the church mm -hmm. because the voices today trying to pull us in direction that may seem, quote, more loving than maybe the church sounds. Mm -hmm. 
the temptations there. I was I'll just giving an example that I remember not long ago when uh, a woman who had not had been able to have children was being tempted, mm. if you will, to use some artificial means mm. to do that, um, which involved a number of choices that were not according to the church. Now, when I was a Protestant minister, there's the temptation, well, do I give in and, and encourage this person, or do I be bold and say, no, that's not right, but why isn't it right? And as a Presbyterian pastor, you were Presbyterian, you know, yeah. who decides? Mm-hmm. And you know that the Presbyterian Church every summer when it gathered for General Assembly votes to decide what's true, and yeah. 51 people vote something, all of a sudden it's true. So, And it, it's tough when you're a pastor, when you're a deacon, and you're pressured to help people, especially if they're a pillar of the church, mm-hmm. and you've got to give them a hard word. Yeah. It's humbling being a deacon. It's humbling being a pastor, I'm sure. I'm not a pastor, so I can't say that for sure. But being a deacon, I can certainly say it's humbling to realize that the answers that I'm going to give a person carry the authority of the church. Yeah. It carries the teaching of the church with it. So by all means, I have to pray about what I have to say. When you're listening and you're, you're sifting through their answers, it's not just merely your wisdom no, no. or their wisdom, mm-hmm. but that you are, a, as I mentioned earlier, a reservoir. In other words, that which you have gleaned from the church and from that out of the overflow of that reservoir of knowledge and wisdom experience you're sharing with them. Yeah, and in my own humanity, I know I may not get it right. <laughs> you know, I just have to rely on faith that what I give them, God's going to help give them the right answer through the Holy Spirit working with all of us. You had picked another verse, which is a key one, and I have an s- assumption that before we read it, uh, this verse from Samuel, I'm, connect- I'm believing, connects with your own call, the diaconate. It does. Um, I, I was asked about one of my favorite verses in Scripture, and I have to go to this one as probably the favorite that I have in all of Scripture. It comes from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, and it is the call of Samuel. And the reason that I, I have such a love for this one is because, as I shared on the journey home this morning, we have I had a call to ministry that came right after I was baptized, either at the age of 9 or 10. I think it was 1964, which made me 9 years old. But I heard very clearly the Holy Spirit say to me, you're going to be a minister someday. And if I equate that with Samuel's age at the time that he was called <laughs> in this scripture, it closely relates to where, how old I was at the time that I heard that call. So, I'm going to have you read that, but yeah. just to remind some of the audience may be familiar with a, a contemporary hymn, Here I Am, Lord, mm-hmm. a, a more contemporary hymn. You don't always hear it in Mass, but it's— From the words of Isaiah, yes. From the word, this is words, but it's also connected, it's parallel with this. Mm-hmm. So why don't you go ahead and read this, if you would, and, and, uh, and then let's reflect on it. Sure. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down within the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, for, speak, Lord, for thy servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood forth, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for thy servant hears. All right. This is, uh, like you said, you know, the, the Isaiah passage is uh, the call of Isaiah. Here we have the call of Samuel. S- uh, interesting, similar response. Here mm-hmm. I am. Here I am mm-hmm. in, in both places. Uh, how do you uh, then see in this yourself? I see this at the time that I was called to the Lord's service. I was a very young person. 
I did not have the distractions of the outside world already knocking at my door, so to speak, tempting me with otherworldly things. Fortunately for me, it was 1964. You know, we didn't have Internet. We didn't have iPods. We didn't have all these other things going on. Um, I was young, rather innocent. And I think that that really is when the Lord will take the opportunity to knock on our door, call us, and say, here I am, answer me. What is your answer going to be? I really, truly believe that every young man and young woman, a young boy here or young girl, hear the call of God early in their life. And he calls us before we are so disturbed by the temptations of this world to ignore him that we will truly give him some kind of an answer that is truly ours to give. Samuel at this point went on to become a great prophet and did the Lord's work in so many different ways. I mean, anointing King David and uh, even having his own, you know, trials and tribulations, if you will, with that, and, and arguing with himself about who to anoint when, when David himself was anointed. So he, too, struggled with that call, but still, in faith, answered that call. And it's very powerful for me. Yeah, there's a lot of, boy, there's a lot of neat things in this passage, one of which was you see um, there's a bit of a hierarchy here. Mm-hmm. Samuel ministering to the Lord under Eli. Under Eli, yes. So there's authority there. Mm-hmm. And the Lord is calling to Samuel, but until Eli gave him permission, Samuel recognized that authority yes. in Eli and mm-hmm. went to Eli. Right. Didn't even know it was the Lord. He was sensing a call, but he didn't even know, so he went to the authority. Mm-hmm. And I think, Deacon, there's something important there because a lot of people out in our world that God's calling me to do this. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, yeah. I think this is what I'm called to do. And they're just running on their own rather than listening to authority. Or and it, it goes right back to many people who have a problem with going to confession. If I can confess my sin to God directly, why do I need to go to the priest? That's what you always say, or that's what we hear, okay? And obviously (laughs) we we don't buy that. We say, no, the teaching of the church is, as it says in James, again, going back to James quite often, take your your confessions and take them to the priest. Um, Again, we have that pattern set up of authority. The church teaches it. Our faith professes it. We should believe it. But we have trouble with that sometimes. Oh, we see it all through the we scriptures. See it all through scripture. in, the old, in the Old Testament, a man didn't just decide he was a prophet. You know, there was always an order mm-hmm. of, of things, uh, structure. And then in the New Testament, and we see Paul emphasizing that when, um, in Romans chapter ten, when we we see, but how are men to call upon him in whom they have not believed, mm-hmm. and how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without a preacher? And how can men preach? unless they are sent. Yes. The, the, the apostle, the word sent, and, and you as a deacon didn't just decide, you know, that'd be a nice job to do. I'm going to go <laughs> start doing it. Oh, no. In fact, if I can talk to my local priest and letting me be a deacon, maybe I'll just... That, no. No. There's a, a reason for the training, the experience, the testing of your call, making sure your wife is also having the call so that you do have the authority to speak for the church in the situation to which you've been called. Exactly. Uh, very, very powerful point to make. You know, without that authority of the church, my words would be simply words. They would have no meaning at all, and nobody would have any reason to believe them. With the authority of the church, we have reason to say what they're saying, and then it is that humbling experience that makes me understand it's not my words, and it takes me out of the picture and put God directly into the picture where he needs to be in the first place. It's very humbling. Yeah, without that authority Mm -hmm. that empowered you to be a deacon, it would have just been your words. And and that's the reason that we take these scriptures to be powerful and inspired. Because at the end of the 4th century, a gathering of bishops at Carthage and Rome and Hippo in council, they had the authority to decide which of these books are going to be the New Testament and which ones ain't. Mm -hmm. It's not just because some group of good Christians got together. It's because they had the authority to decide. Let's take a break there. We've got this hard break coming up, Deacon, and we'll come right back in a moment. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Brodi, joined today by Deacon Patrick Wilson. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. 
This Deep in Scripture radio program is produced by the Coming Home Network International, a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. You can listen to any of our past radio programs by logging onto our website, which also offers a wealth of information on our Catholic faith, including conversion stories, an online forum, and available resources to help you to find the truth of our faith. Visit us today at www.deepinscripture.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for WINGS, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the WINGS link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your WINGS today. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grodi's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Deacon Patrick Wilson. And uh, I do want to remind you that this program is connected to a website. You can go to uh, chnetwork.org. That's the website for the Coming Home Network International. And uh, once you click on that website, there's all kinds of great stuff there that uh, talk about mostly conversion and resources and helping people grow in their faith and their knowledge of the church. Uh, but there is a, a link for the media in which you can watch and listen to the Journey Home program as well as Deep in Scripture, and you can even be watching this program as it's video streamed to the Internet. So so thank you for joining our program, Deacon. We, I just Before we took the break, I, I made the comment about the, the reason we hold this Bible of such esteem is because of the authority of the men mm-hmm. that indeed gathered to determine that these were the books that God had inspired them to keep in this collection of books. And understanding that authority is divinely inspired itself, as the Word of God is divinely inspired, is so important because it was not a matter of a popular vote. Had it been a matter of popular vote, we put God out of the action altogether and all of a sudden becomes a work of man. There's nothing to it. You know, if we take God out of the picture, then Scripture means nothing. But God is alive in the Scripture, so it's it's just simply not a matter of popular vote. We go forward because we're here. I suppose one could argue, hey, it says in Scripture, wherever two or more gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of you. And so I remember when I was originally a Congregationalist pastor, uh, right out of seminary, I was ordained Congregationalist before Presbyterian, Congregations, every individual gathering of, of Christians is a church, mm-hmm. and, and they have to vote which color of the curtains are going to be in the sanctuary, <laughs> and, and bizarre. Mm-hmm. And they could vote anything. They could decide, we're no longer Trinitarian, we're just going to be Unitarians, and, and many of them have done that. And that's why Harvard began Trinitarian and ended up Unitarian, because of the, the vote of Congregationalism. But even the Presbyterians, you were and I were both a part of, mm-hmm. every summer they'd gather for General Assembly. Yep. And they'd vote, and there'd be lobbyists and people pressuring, and pretty soon they would determine a, quote, truth mm-hmm. that 100 years ago no one would ever dreamed would be considered truth, but now by popular vote has become true. Yeah, and popular vote just simply tears down because anyone who was a part of that faith tradition beforehand now all of a sudden realizes, wait a minute, this is no longer a part of my faith. What's going on here? They leave. And I can't say I wouldn't blame him in that instance. That becomes a struggle. Let's turn to another passage, which you've chosen two selections, both out of Philippians. Mm -hmm. Great book. It's definitely a 
a joyful book in yes. the New Testament. Yes, uh, it was. And so there's definitely the context of that as Paul writes to these people. The first selection you chose was out of chapter 2. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not e- count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather emptied himself, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, a great, powerful expression of the incarnate uh, existence of our Lord, uh, especially all subsumed around that that word servant, mm-hmm. which is the the underlining word of deacon. Yes, diakonia in the Greek, yes. Um, it, it really touches my heart that we as um, members of the of the clergy pray the office of readings, and we are obligated to pray both morning and evening prayer as deacons. And it's to our joy that evening prayer one on Saturday evening for Sunday evening, evening prayer one of Sunday, always contains that verse from Philippians. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God something to be grasped. It says something to me as a deacon that even though I am called and I am a servant of God, I can't put that above anything else that I'm doing. It, it, it humbles me, and it allows me to be on the same playing field that Jesus was. He was a servant, and he humbled himself and did not deem any equality with God something that he could grasp at and save himself from the torture of the cross. He still had to go through it. We, too, have to do that very same thing. And recently I found, too, in um, verse 10, something very important to me here, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and then into verse 11, and every tongue proclaim to the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ is Lord. That much has always been one of my favorites. But recently, verse 10, that every knee should bow, means so much more to me because in the new liturgy of the church, the Roman Missal calls for deacons to kneel at the moment of consecration from the epiclesis when the priest during the Eucharistic prayer puts his hands above the gifts and blesses them and asks for the Holy Spirit to come down upon them, does the consecration, and then proclaims the mystery of faith. It calls for the deacon to kneel. Now, in our own diocese, many of the deacons are older, and our bishop has given us a a grant that we did not have to do that kneeling because it's more difficult for many deacons to get up, so a lot of us won't. But in my own right, recently during Holy Week and during that time when we felt the need to kneel, I have felt the need myself personally to start kneeling at that moment, even though granted the, the right not to. I felt so out of place by standing in the sanctuary at that moment when the rest of the world is kneeling based on Philippians 2.10. To me, it says something so much more powerful that every knee should bow at the name of Jesus and at the presence of Jesus so real in the Eucharist at that moment. Is that a new thing in the new—was that there before and not practice, or is it new? It was there before, but it's really emphasized now. Yeah. And it was it was there, and, and, and many, as I said, many deacons have been given the granting not to have to do that by their bishops because they didn't want to, you know them stumbling if they got back up if they weren't capable of kneeling, and that's, that's perfectly fine. But I'm young enough, I can still do right. that. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm reminded of the first verse that you chose for today. Blessed is the man who perseveres in temptation, for when he has been proved, he will receive the crown of life that he promised to those who love him. There have been great pressures over the last 40, 50 years on all aspects of the liturgy. Mm -hmm. Voices from culture challenging us to compromise, to become lazy in liturgy, Mm -hmm. in praxis. And so there's been a lot of experimentation over the years. Uh, in fact, I remember once I spoke at a deacon dinner about 10 years ago, and I went to gather for the dinner. I mean, for, yeah, I got there early when there was a traveler's mass, and I went to the mass, and it was all deacons. And I saw every imaginable posture mm. going on. There was no unity. Yes. And I think that part of this decision from the new practice of the new liturgy 
is to is to help us get back to what is the core. It isn't merely that we got the theology right. That's important. Mm-hmm. But number two, we are a full people, yes. body and spirit. And what we do with our bodies is as much worship as what we do with our words. It's why we stand. It's why we take the different postures that we have during Mass. Everybody should, you know, at that proclamation of the gospel, not only should we be standing, but we should turn and face the gospel so that both our ears are facing forward to hear the word of God proclaimed to us from that ambo. It, it is. It's so important that all bodies do the same thing and that we as one body, the body of Christ, are in response to what the liturgy calls us to be. And I, you bring up a good point that during the, the time after the Second Vatican Council, those changes that took place here in the United States, they were at a formative stage, and many people heard different things. Yep. You know, and each bishop and each diocese had the right to dictate how it was interpreted in his diocese. And sometimes, I think probably um, parish liturgy councils and others took it upon themselves to say, oh, well, let's experiment with this, and this would work in our culture, and this is something different. So it goes in many different ways. And those of us who would attend Mass in one diocese and then attended it in another parish in another diocese would see, oh, my gosh, there are so many differences here. Is this even the same church, sometimes you would ask? Um, you know, we, we've all been uh, accustomed to that. I think now that the changes in the Roman Missal have come out, it is more unifying. And it is um, it's a, a, a much more beautiful worship in the liturgy that I've been exposed to now. Yeah, I, I, I think... I truly appreciate the discipline of the uh, rubrics mm-hmm. of the liturgy. Having come from a Presbyterian, a more evangelical Presbyterian worship, where every Sunday we could experiment, or there was a, a natural inclination against overt show, so you wouldn't find the Presbyterians being overly demonstrative, because there was a a suspicion mm-hmm. of of exuberance, enthusiasm, compared to down the road we had we had slang for the holy rollers. We might call them people that were over exuberant. Mm-hmm. And so, if we leave it to our own desires, we may always compromise on the rubrics. We're tired, uh, we're sore, whatever. But the church is. That's why I think, as Paul said, almost in Romans, he says that we're, um, you know, we're heirs, we're sons, provided we suffer. Provided we suffer, yes. And sometimes that little suffering is just kneeling because we're, we ache a little bit. And that, that, well, I was looking in Hebrews here because the, 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 the passage that gets cracks me up on this is Hebrews twelve twelve. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mm. and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. I think there's great wisdom in the liturgy, the rituals, our kneeling, our bowing, showing reverence to our Lord when we receive him, whether it's in the host or in the the blood. Uh, The way we respond, again, faith and works together. Exactly. And if you take it in another area where Paul still talks about that, I may suffer a little bit if I kneel and my knees hurt a little bit. But if you go right to uh, Romans 8.18, I consider that the sufferings of the present time are as nothing compared to the glory to be revealed for us. So, too, that, that one. Poster right across the sanctuary. Right <laughs> across the sanctuary. There you go. Yep, big, bold letters. That would be wonderful. That, too, is another one of my uh, favorite verses, too, and I didn't give to you prior sure. to the program, but that Romans 8.18 because at some point two years ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer and had a prostatectomy successfully. I've had no uh, chemotherapy or radiation after that. They got it in an early enough stage that I'm truly blessed. You know, all my my blood levels and everything have shown that there's no recurrence of that. And I have to go three more years to that testing to make sure that that still be called cancer-free. But I happen to have to address that to my parish at that time when I was going through this operation and leading up to it, because you never know. I had no other outward signs that this was going on in my body. I was only 54 at the time, and it just it wow. occurred. So I picked on that particular verse to really rely upon and gave the message to my, my fellow parishioners at my parish to say, 
this is okay. It's going to be all right. I consider the sufferings of the present time to be as nothing compared to the glory of God to be revealed in us and embrace that verse through my surgery and really worked out very well for us. Well, and of course, that's the whole passage of Second Philippians that you chose, mm-hmm. that our Lord, in becoming a human being, could have decided, you know, I'll hold back some of that suffering that a normal human being goes through. Mm -hmm. I'm God. He could have. You know, I could hold on to that, but it says he didn't grasp that. And out of his love for us, chose not to, chose to suffer with us. What greater love can there be than that? Yeah. Yeah, which, again, that's why we can turn to our Lord in the midst of whatever we're going through, because, as it says, he's been tempted in every way we have, but not with sin. But not with sin. Let's take our last break. We'll come back again, Deacon, in a moment. And we want to look at Philippians 4, a very happy, joyful, uh, uplifting passage of this wonderful book. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grode. I am joined today by Deacon Patrick Wilson of Blessed Sacrament Parish in Newark, Ohio. And you're hearing us on EWTN, Global Catholic Radio Network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are interested in learning more about our Catholic faith, or if you know someone who is interested in becoming Catholic, please visit our website at www.chnetwork.org or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Deacon Patrick Wilson. We've been looking at a number of really good verses. I mean, the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, of course, is is important. But a few of them really touch our lives, Mm -hmm. and and that's why uh, often uh, people are encouraged to have verses that they memorize to, to always have their, as the Jewish tradition was as a frontlet to your eyes. It was always there in front of you. Uh, And of course, our Lord fighting off the temptation, the devil used scripture. So that encourages us to do that. Sometimes the scriptures are encouraging us to deal with suffering, to understand our calling as you focus in 1 Samuel, uh, dealing with temptation as you emphasize in James 1. But this passage in Philippians 4 is a very uplifting one. Okay. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace will be with you. All right, Deacon. Lots of great stuff in this passage. Oh, yes. Maybe, first of all, what what is it about this passage that made you want to include this in your collection today? The word rejoice. The word rejoice. I, I rejoice in my life with God. I rejoice in the many different aspects that I have experienced in my life of faith, whether it be simply lecturing when I was a lector or being called to be a cantor, being called to be a leader in in, in whatever subcommittee or parish council or whatever I've done in my life at the church. It's all with rejoicing, and especially through those moments of suffering when things were pulling you in the wrong direction and you really didn't feel like being there. I can go back to this verse and say there was a good reason. And now we've all been to some of these parish council meetings or other meetings maybe when we've had a bad day at work. You come in and it's 7 o'clock in the evening and you're not prepared. You know, the agenda that you're supposed to have for tonight's meeting just isn't ready. And you really wish, I would rather be at home, you know. But yet, (laughs) those are usually the times when you go to the meetings 
and something miraculously happens at the hands of God, and all of a sudden, this one you would not have turned down the opportunity to ever go to because it was a wonderful experience. Those are the moments that you can look back at this first and say, rejoice in the Lord always and do the work that he has called us to do. And again, echo with Paul the fact that he says, again, I say it, rejoice. It just is marvelous that we can have such joy at what we are called to do if we give ourselves into the, to the will of God. Sometimes when, when we find ourselves in seemingly unsolvable turmoil uh, in a situation that seems without answer, without mm-hmm. cure, um, you can make the list long. It could be. Taxes, it could be oh, yeah. illness, it could be loss of job, it could be all kinds of things. And we live in a, in an age. It's interesting, he said, the Lord is at hand. So, I mean, mm-hmm. even as he was writing this, there was this anticipation that this, what we're going through now might be the big upheaval. That if you picture that as the person Paul is talking to, you could really see in verse 4 that part of the reason he's got to say it twice is because we can get so caught up in it that it's hard to hear an optimistic answer. He's trying to get attention because the danger is that we, as back in James 1, you know, that in in the midst of temptation, that we can become so drawn away from the Lord Mm -hmm. and hearing him. So, uh, I mean, the beauties of this passage, he's giving all kinds of uh, cures, answers. Encouragement. Yeah. To, just to, how do you deal with anxiety? Mm-hmm. And that's what he's given us here. He does. He does. And and especially this is especially powerful again I, I go back to the liturgy of the church and in evening prayer when we pray this as deacons the four Sundays of Advent this is the verse these are the verses which are used in that reading consistently every week. What is the most anxiety season we have of the year? Preparation (laughs) for Christmas, right? All the coming things that society pounds upon you, you must do this, you must do that. You can get so anxiety in a Christmas shopping rush that everything falls apart. But again, we can rejoice in the Lord always. Put proper things in proper perspective. Put God first, the rest of the world, it's there. And it's all good because God created it to be good. You know, go back to that sixth day of creation. When God created man and looked at everything that he had created, he didn't just say it was good. He said it was very good. We have to rejoice in all those things at all times. And remember, as you said, the Lord is at hand. You know, Paul thought in his time the Lord was coming before he would leave the earth. He truly believed that. We have to take on that same attitude that Paul did, that we don't know when the Lord is coming. And because of that, be prepared at all times. Well, verse 5, connected with that, Mm -hmm. Deacon um, we are surrounded by people who we never know when we're going to see the Lord. Right. He may come tonight with the, the trumpets, or we may die. Mm-hmm. There we go. Right. We know that in our lifetime, Jesus is coming again, yes. whether it's in the great second coming or in the, the moment that we die and, and we stand before him, and as it says, stand accountable for how we've lived our life. Mm-hmm. Um and what what's beautiful about verse 5 is Paul is reminding each of us in the midst of our struggle with temptation and that people are watching us. Yes. And because we're community, he stresses, let all men know about your forbearance. Let them know what your troubles are. Share them. Because now when you share them, they are lessened. They are, your burden is lessened. I think of ourselves a lot of times as, as bridges between God and his people. I'm sure that you, as a pastor in the Protestant world, as a Presbyterian, had some of that time, too, when people were so out of touch with God, they wanted to be touched by the hand of God and came to you. And we just simply have to be that bridge between God and his people sometimes because people feel so out of place. They feel like anxiety has taken over their lives, and they've got to understand that the peace of God is with them. Yeah, and... It's as if Paul, in verse 6, was uh, hearing or imagining, anticipating their complaints. Mm-hmm. In other words, who are you to tell me to rejoice? You don't know what my life is like. I'm going through this stuff. 
well, you know, this problem, that problem, this problem, this problem. So he responds. And, and if I recall, he was writing this from prison. Himself. Himself. He knew what suffering was, but yet he could tell you, tell you rejoice in the Lord yeah. always. I say it again, rejoice, even as I am in chains. I am rejoicing on your behalf. In that verse 6, I think the key there is, number one, prayer. Mm-hmm. But this, the importance of thanksgiving. Yes. As the underlying foundational attitude to everything. In other words, that's recognizing that everything we have is from God anyway. Amen. Everything. Amen. It's a gift. We, if we don't have the attitude of thanksgiving, then we're turning our focus off of God. Which points you right to the center and focus of our faith, the Eucharist itself, which means, of course, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, of course, he promises in verse 7 that the result of those prayers given with thanksgiving to God will be his grace that will empower us, give us the peace that we need. What about verses 8? Um, the key of of bringing our mind on on the right things. Mm-hmm. He's he's trying to encourage all of us to focus on the truth. And again, focus on our faith, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, gracious. If there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, contemplate these things. Focus on these things, discern them, and then what you've learned and received, this too, the God of peace will bring to you and be with you. And it's like a blessing and a benediction he gives us at the same time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah once again, it, I keep my mind getting drawn back to James. I'm not sure uh, what there is about James today, although I do love that particular passage. But what James emphasizes in the middle of all those struggles with passions and, again, the temptations and the struggles, he says right in the middle of that, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, mm-hmm. and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. There's that draw near. As you said, the, the contemplation of these things where the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil are, to, are pulling you off track. You know, there's other things, but to draw your, your focus back to God. Right. Be received by that crown of life that he has promised to those who love him. All right. Thanks, Deacon. And thank you for joining us, Deacon, and thank you, for sharing with us. We do appreciate taking time out of your busy schedule and and, uh, and helping us uh, appreciate not only the beauty of your calling as a deacon, but sharing then your own inspiration from Scripture for it's our been, audience. It's been my joy, and may God bless you and your ministry in this, this network. Thank you. Thank you very much, Deacon. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Journey Home. The, you know, the words from Paul there in Philippians are really a call to us to focus on what is true and honorable and just and pure out of an attitude of thanksgiving. Result will be the peace that will bring us joy in the midst of any anxiety. That's the promise of our Lord because he's at hand. He's right here. God bless you. See you soon.